Welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that's given Double O a try. My name is Jeremy. Screw the entire premise of Armageddon, we just need one mobile suit. I'm Tyler. (laughs) Oh, that is not a good movie, but it's one that I enjoy. I don't think about it very often, but I do recall enjoying it. My name is Zach. I feel like it's a much smaller asteroid in this case. We already have talked about how Char's counterattack is just Armageddon, but good. (laughs) I think the other thing that sets it apart... Okay, I think the reason Armageddon is a well-regarded movie is because nothing else came out that summer that could compete with it. No, it's because Aerosmith's Don't Want to Miss a Thing isn't it, was exclusive to that movie. They wrote the song for that movie. Oh, really? I did what? not know that. Yeah. What? So you <laughs> can't say there's Bruce nothing- Willis's daughter in that movie? <laughs> they wrote it for it. I don't. I, I imagine they already had it, and this was a marketing thing. But, okay, that's fair. But- you can't say there's nothing good about that movie because Aerosmith wrote Don't Want to Miss a Thing for it, so. But don't get me wrong, I don't think it's, like, a bad movie. I think it's, like, just okay is the problem. It also gave us Ben Affleck, take of that what you will. <laughs> it, it's a summer blockbuster. Um, some might call it a true affliction on yep. humanity. I mean, he's my <laughs> second favorite actor to ever play Batman. Is that true? It's I'm scared that's true, guys. So um, who's number one? Yeah, is, George is, is, Clooney? Is Christian Bale. 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 Yeah. Okay. He's going to fight Thor. And if he doesn't say you should have brought more Thors, I'm walking out of the theater. What, what is that a reference to? I uh, don't. Oh, well, the sto- he's playing Gore the God Butcher. Okay. The first story involving Gore the God Butcher is a story in which Thor is time traveling. So he, there are three Thors. There's Thor from the future, who is now the king of Asgard and he's has a robot right? hand. Yep. There is modern Thor, of course, and there is past Thor, who is not worthy to wield the hammer and has a giant axe. And, <laughs> okay. And Gore the God Butcher is going around killing gods and p- carrying out their hearts to make a god bomb, a bomb that will blow up and kill all gods at the same time across all timelines. <laughs> well, he's certainly living up to his title. Yes. He's an atheist who hates God so much he became a god, and he hates himself for it. <laughs> I don't, that's not how atheism works. Well, people started praying to him because he kept killing gods. 
Okay, okay, but Tyler, like, I think you underestimate the depth of his hatred for gods. I just okay, hear me out. He is not an atheist because he knows gods exist. True, he is killing them. He is just like well, he wants to kill them to prove they're not actually gods. But okay, okay. Well, at that point, you're just like yes, hairs, it's semantic, right? Right. Um, but anyway, so the three Thors team up and go to fight him, and Gore says, "You should have brought more Thors." Okay, amazing. <laughs> yes, that is a great line. Yes, and if he doesn't say it in the movie, what, why did they even make this movie? That's only, a good question. Only if he says it in the where are the drugs voice, though. <laughs> well, but we can only hope, right? <laughs> so we are watching episode 12 of the second part of Double O, episode 37, Wait for Me, in Space. It's a good episode, so we have to get all the making fun of it uh, uh, early. I actually kind of like the title, not going to lie. No, it's great because it's a callback to like a really important line that passed between Saji and Luis. I don't know. I like it a lot, actually. And I get to say, in space. Yeah, also that. Well, you could say that about almost every single episode of the show if you wanted to. Well, no. You can say that about are... anything ever if you want to. Okay. Because <laughs> there are several that ha- episodes that happen on Earth as opposed to well, in space. Well, that's why I said almost. Almost every. Okay. We're splitting hairs. Are we in space right now? The answer is clearly yes. But Jeremy, are we in space right now? Yeah, not outer space. It's inner space, but we're in space. <sighs> space. Anyway, is we get our opening. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, first we get the post-credit scene from last week. That's fair. I'm I'm just not understanding what the point of those after-credit scenes are. If you're just gonna play them again as the forward bumper. This one's slightly different, though, because they also replay the conversation that Luis has with Saji over the conversation that Luis is having with Saji, uh, which sounds kind of confusing when you say it, but it actually works But it's well. the past conversation yeah. over the one that they are having more recently. Yeah, I actually, I really like the way it plays out. It is a very different scene because of that, I think. Yeah, but then what was the point of the scene in the previous episode? Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> That's the problem, that. is yeah. that it's. Well, it has changed, and the tonal sense is different in this one. Why does that scene exist in two places? I mean, to be fair, though, how many episodes of Gundam Seed and Destiny start with scenes from previous episodes to recontext them or get you back up to them? Just like, show them again to yeah, get you back in the action. Most of those aren't showing the... Most of those are not taking place after the credits. That's what's so weird about this. Yeah, because it's literally the same after the credit scene. I mean, the after the credit thing is a stylistic thing I hate. What you gain from it is a huge bumper, right? You gain a fade to black cut that you can then come back in, which is sometimes good for pacing. For example, this scene in particular gets added to a lot because it's after the credits, right? But I don't see what the difference is between that just being the last scene and then the credits playing and them replaying that now versus them showing it at the after the credits. There are some that I that kind of needed a bumper to sh- to shift because they shift around so abruptly, but this isn't one of them. I don't know. I think it benefits from it, but you're right. It doesn't need one because it's literally uh, sensitive being like, time to turn on the Trans Am, and then Saji's like, I've never done a Trans Am before. Oh, whoa, man. My hands. <laughs> Where'd all my clothes go? <laughs> Saji's experiencing alien clothes syndrome. Distinct from the alien clothes syndrome in Kill a Kill. So we're going to watch episode 37 of Gundam 00, Wait for Me, in space. You can watch along on Crunchyroll or DVDs if you have them or Blu-rays. Or if they made VHSs of this somewhere, like in the Philippines, you can probably watch it on those. Weirdly enough. If you recorded it on VHS off the sci-fi channel when they were playing it, I think they were still sci-fi and not Sithy when this was airing. So we start out with the Trans Am activating on the 00. And then Setsuna, Saji, and Louise all going on a trip. 
<laughs> I I love how they are still, as you said, sitting in like they are in the cockpits and floating through this like nether space. It's a real weird, real interesting choice. And I really like how this series takes this Gundam trope of just like floating in space, talking to other people and makes it explicitly diegetic. Whereas it's always been vague in the past of, is this really happening? Is Amaro just sort of imagining Lala? Is this all happening in an instant? Is this real life or is this just fantasy? Whereas in this one, it is very explicitly happening on, like, this is actually happening to the characters. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always happening, but this just makes it, like, something about it being a system that does it to them, rather than being, like, weird psychic powers. I really like. Also, just the effect. This is just because it was made more recently, but they just get more particle stuff on there, and I really like the look of it. And also, it's just naked men squatting, and that's always (laughs) funny. But as before, Saji looks up and he sees Louise squatting. It's weird to me that Louise has her arm in this. Uh, in this space? Yeah, in this like weird liminal space. I mean, she has a prosthetic arm, so maybe she sees herself as having her arm and people see themselves as they're supposed to be. I don't know. She does have her arm, though, and it doesn't seem to be messed up. Well, at the distance we see her actual arms, it's hard to tell if she's actually got a... The scar from it? Yeah, she doesn't appear to have the marking as far as we can see, but also, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't draw it. So Saji and Louise start having flashbacks to that time they talked, and Louise is like, hey, Saji, I want your dream to come true. So please go into space. My dream is for your dream to come true. Don't believe in your dream. Believe in my dream, which is your dream. So as Saji and Louise yell, hey, what are you doing here? I didn't expect you to be here. We cut out to the double O's engine circles that have made a giant infinity sign encompassing the battlefield which is fucking grade a visuals i actually still really really like that scene and i think it's even better with like the remnants of their past conversation played on top of it it's a good scene it's just so bizarre for this show it's a sudden turn but it was foreshadowed just enough with the test of the double i feel like yeah because like, we they all did have a reaction to it or almost everybody had a reaction to it yeah, like everyone who is quantum brainwave sensitive. And Setsuna, who was in the thing. And now Saji's in the thing. And now everybody is having a reaction to it. Except any of the other Gundam pilots, apparently. That's true. I'll, well, all of you is a f- fucking off not being here. <laughs> and Tiara and Lockon are busy. They're too far away. Infinity's not that big. It's a metaphorical infinity, not a literal infinity. Some infinities are larger than others. I'm aware, and that's existentially terrifying. <laughs> it might just be linguistically terrifying. I, I think it's more that. It's definitely a semantic of mathematics, but there are countable infinities and uncountable infinities. I'm confused. Basically, countable infinities are things where like the numbers are discrete and you know what they are. Like The set of all real numbers is a countable infinity because you can go one, two, three, and do that infinitely. Uncountable infinities are like mathematical asymptotes that approach infinity in ways that can't be defined by numbers. Okay. The practical difference is basically nothing, but some things are more infinite than others is the funny (laughs) way to say it. There's, like, specific rules for dealing with infinite infinites. Hey, Tyler, some things are bigger than others. I just said literally what you just said. Yes, some things are bigger than (laughs) others, but some things that are incomprehensibly big are incomprehensibly bigger than others. Some Cthulhus are more Cthulhu than other Cthulhus. Exactly, yes. (laughs) Some things are more Eldritch. (laughs) I'm glad Jeremy is here because he knows how to explain (laughs) things in a way I can understand. 
So we get through the opening sequence, and Lock-On is fighting some heads and jinxes, and doing a pretty okay job, but he is getting pushed back. And we can see well, that the Ptolemy just... is just taking a ton of fire. I felt like the last in the last episode, the Ptolemy didn't have its GN field. Presumably no. it got it back, I don't know. I d- it had its GN field, just the Gadessa's shot went through it. Oh, okay. okay. I, I thought remember... that knocked the field out also. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember if that was the case. I thought it knocked out the field. I thought it was just, it penetrated it. Maybe I'm wrong. That's how I'm interpreting it now. But Tiaria and Lockon are doing their best to try and ward off the assault, and it's not going great. Meanwhile, cut to Super Setsuna, the legendary Super Setsuna. Kind of just wrecking face, honestly. Yeah, he's doing an uh, Amuro destroying eight doms this episode. And she's taking Saji away from Luis. And I really, really like the decision to make Saji's cockpit face the opposite of Setsuna's. So he is facing Luis as he's literally dragged away. There are a lot of reasons I like it. I like that they get to be back in, to back in liminal space. But the only thing I don't like about the back to back thing is that all the shots that we see from Saji when Setsuna accelerates is that he's being pushed backwards. And that's not how acceleration works. It's the G-Diffuser. Yeah, th- there's something wrong with the G-Diffuser, Zach. <laughs> Yeah, no, there is no rational explanation that physics can provide for what is happening with Saji's cockpit. That's most of this episode. (laughs) We'll get to hear the word quantum thrown around a lot like that will fix it. I mean, quantum is a fun word. Uh, Yeah, it literally means something that's countable. Okay, here we are. There are quantum infinities and continuous infinities. Does that help? It helps me, but I already understood. (laughs) So bring stabity. Remember bring stabity? He's got five five oh. stabities, one for each finger. It's like, I can take you. I took you before. Remember last time we fought? When you weren't glowing red, I beat you then. I'll definitely beat you now. Well, I mean, he just doesn't know how the Kaioken works. So he gets his ass Kaiokened pretty bad. Yeah, Setsuna absolutely rips this dude apart. But he's got a name, so he's able to actually eject, which I think is rad. Uh, no, the, the innovators just have, like, a patent on these escape pods. The normal mobile suits do not have this style of escape pod. Only the innovators ones do because they're better than humans and they deserve these rad 50s rocket Flash Gordon-esque <laughs> escape pods that they uh, have on But here. it's an actual escape pod. Like, <laughs> like a way to eject from a dying mobile suit, which we don't normally see in Gundam. I feel like we see it like half the time. Gundam Seed is really bad about it. Well, a lot of them don't have means to do that most of them have ejection seats like in the cockpit because wing is the same way where the like the torso is in the chest yep the torso is in the chest zach (laughs) (laughs) the cockpit's in the torso which is the chest which means they can't eject so sets in a defeat to bring and moves on and ribbons is like ha one of my guys died one of my guys lost he's not dead yet well he will be when he gets home (laughs) cut to tiaria who is slowly taking apart mobile suits but more keep coming at him and he's like oh i can't transam what if i run out of power later i like that as a balancing mechanic for the transam because it's like yes you could go god mode for all of 20 seconds however long it lasts i don't remember how long they're actually supposed to last it's never stated i don't think it's implied that the double o riser can do it for three minutes but it's not clear if that is because it is special and if it's special if it can last longer or less long i would assume longer but at any rate but then it has that period of weakness, which I, I like the fact. So it makes actually using the Trans Am a decision instead of started the fight, hit the button for my Super Saiyan mode. Which is what I said when we were doing Build Fighters about, oh, there's actually like reasons not to do that in Double O and not to just have it. Now, by Build Fighters, they've used all these scenarios and they don't care anymore. But <laughs> Build Divers, I believe, yes, is the one you're actually trying to find. You're correct. Build Fighters is good. 
Build divers, build divers, build divers, build divers. I can use those somehow. <laughs> Steel diver. Anyway, uh, I do also like that Sutsuna and Tiaria have the exact opposite calculation on that, where Sutsuna was like, well, better press to the button now, and Tiaria is like, this is a tactical well, resource. The thing is, Sutsuna is moving around, so he needs all the speed that the Trans Am can give him in this fight. Tiaria is basically acting as another shield for the Ptolemaeus. Yeah. So he can't afford to lose the particles for his own GN field. Sutsuna is also alone, surrounded, fighting main characters. Whereas Tiaria doesn't even have to fight Patrick Colossar this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Lock-On has that honor. And Patrick's actually going pretty well. He gets a hit on Lock-On and everything. And manages to get him in a sword fight. And the Cherudium does not have beam sabers. It just has melee pistols that can stand up to beam <laughs> sabers, which is kind of rad. Well, I think at this point, if you were designing something like this, it's like, yes, I need a melee weapon because the, it's not like the previous season where all of the mobile suits were crap. Now you've got stuff that can actually take the Gundams. Well, the, on a reasonable basis, so having something that could stand up to Gundam-class weapons for the backup is a better idea. The Dynamis had beam sabers, though, whereas this one just has pistols that can block beam sabers, which I love for, like, gun-fu nonsense. That's some uh, Mommy Tomoe, I'm gonna fight Homer right now, nonsense that they designed <laughs> this Gundam with. I do also like that, even though he's a glory hog, Patrick is not intending to do this on his own. He's yeah, just he setting up an ambush. Colossar regularly does this stuff though. yeah he he has gotten more and more that way i think as he has gotten his ass kicked repeatedly he ke keeps coming up with more and more clever tactics yeah patrick colossar is the most competent pilot who isn't good enough <laughs> like, like in gundam maybe well i feel like colossar from what we've been presented with give colossar a mobile suit on the par with everybody else and he'd actually be up there but he's always one mobile suit generation behind colonel i want a new model too <laughs> Exactly, because he knows that he'd be just as good if he could get himself one of those new models. But no, he's stuck in a jinx. So Lock-On is flanked by Patrick Collisor's clever tactics, and he's like, Zono, and Felt's like, Zono. And then the two mobile suits flanking him explode. And then he <laughs> punches Colossar's mobile suit in the face. It's really good. It's such a good comedy take because Patrick Colossar's mobile suit does a double take to be like, what's going on? Which Lock-On takes advantage of to punch him. And Lock-On is also like, hey, what's going on? And then a wild Setsuno appears just tearing through mobile suits like he's in Gundam Seed Destiny. I like how he forces one of the uh, heads into a clean line fire from Tiaria. Yep. Like, the guy's facing in the other direction, so Tiaria just wastes him. And Sumeragi's like, remember, everybody, when you go to the hobby shop, it's the double-O riser. <laughs> I thought he lost one of his beam gun sabers. He loses it later. I thought he lost it last episode. I don't believe so. Anyway, so, he's turned dudes apart, and he's like, wait, someone just said that their big fucking laser is charged. I better go deal with that. Cut to... Is this Divine? I can't remember which one this is. Yeah, this is Divine... Divine Nova? Cut to Divine. He's like, I'm a charge to my laser. Time to destroy the Ptolemaeus with my giant laser. Sessina's <laughs> like, you know what? I do not have time to go around this big fucking rock. So I'm just going to go through this rock. So he cuts a giant X through the asteroid that Divine was standing on. Apparently I this asteroid was made of magnesium because it freaking explodes. I can't imagine... Cessna's thought process being like, yes, this is the fastest way to deal with this problem, is cut through the asteroid. To a sword boy, every problem looks like a, uh, something you need to ginsu. Well, I guess, <laughs> thinking about it, if 
he'd been a little quicker, he would have actually caught Divine coming through with the beam. Because the, the beam's cut with a lot of room to spare. Yeah. And they cut right where Divine was. He nearly stabs her through the asteroid with a laser gun. So Divine is like, well, you are clearly the main character and you're in Kaioken, so I'll just use my big fuck-off cannon on you. That seems fine. But Setsuna's like, yeah, I'm fast. You can't hit me with a big fuck-off cannon. Do you guys not know how Kaioken works? Even as Divine sweeps it from side to side, Setsuna stays just one step ahead of it. Yep. And he starts charging at Divine, but Divine is like, that's fine. I am still the best pilot here. I'm going to stab you the moment you're here because you cannot see through my giant fuck-off laser beam. So Divine goes to stab the double-O riser through the chest, and Setsuna has a moment of pure concentration, and then Ribbons freaks the fuck out because apparently the double-O has just after-imaged Divine. But as we will find out, no, it just teleported behind her. Somehow. It, it did a Star Trek where it dissolved into particles and then reformed. Yep. It, that's absolutely wacky. It is bonkers, and I love this it nonsense. takes a swing at Divine with one of its beam weapons, with one of its swords, but Divine blocks it with the big gun. Which destroys both of them. So then the double O teleports behind her again and gets a green cut through the shoulder diagonally, and Divine also has to use her fancy escape pod and be like, this can't happen. I'm way better than a human. I'm an innovator. I can't lose. How dare you? Still think Setsuna might but, be a secret innovator. <laughs> but then uh, Setsuna's trans am wears off. Oh no, Kaioken ran out. Oh no, Saji ran out also. But holy, uh, I love how he's just like, well, the trans am wore off. Now I have some time to think. <laughs> what the fuck just <laughs> happened? That was a weird trip. I don't do drugs. I was raised Muslim. And even though I'm not anymore, still don't do drugs. Well, because Gundam doesn't do drugs. I guess the Transam is the closest thing to a drugs that a Gundam would do. <laughs> I'm on Transam right now. <laughs> I guess Zero System. Zero System is like acid to Transam's <laughs> marijuana, right? <laughs> I feel like Transam is cocaine. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, fair. I see this uh, analogy. Zero System's definitely acid, though. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so, Saji is like, hey, I have to go see my girlfriend, so I hit the escape button. And Setsuna looking over his shoulders like, dude, what the fuck? We're not done yet. Get back here. There's still bad guys and stuff. I know the music uh, calmed down and it's like the battle's over now, but it's not. This is why you don't put untrained civilians in your hardware. I mean, it usually works out great in Gundam, though. I'm surprised Haro didn't just take control. And I guess in general, most of the Gundam pilots... Well, I was going to say most of the Gundam pilots are trained, but actually most of them are just civilians in mobile suits. In this series? Yes. It's 50-50. Lock-on is pretending he's not trained. I assume Tiaria is trained, actually, well, I mean, to some degree. I mean, he doesn't belong to all... I guess it depends on how you classify Cateron. But, um, like, and most they of them are trained active... by insurrectionist groups, right? But most of them have been trained. I'm just... Okay, so I'm just imagining a uh, Tiaria Haro that just... Or, uh, sorry, an Alleluia Haro that goes, I have control! I have control! <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it, most Gundam pilots are actually... Or most uh, protagonist Gundam pilots are complete civilians until they get drafted because they have the Gundam. But the O-Riser is out of power so it just kind of sits here drifting lazily in I, space. I love that shot of it like trying and just drifting away. It sets and it just stands there and watches it. He's like you're going to be a pain in my ass, aren't you? <laughs> so we cut to the Bond room where Ribbon's like, did that mobile what? suit fucking teleport? I know what I the mobile suits? I, I know love I how he phrased it as quantized. That's a real term. 
That it does I not mean, mean what he wants it to mean. Well, it, it would be. It's just it's a funny word. It means to divide into pieces, right? Um, I that's my understanding. Technically, of it. if something is quantized, it is countable. So, well, I assume what he is saying is that it, mo- it became it a number of very small pieces yes. and then reassembled. That that is what he's wanting to say. I don't think that's what that word means. Okay, I looked up the word, and that's the conclusion I came to. But you're the physics man among us, so you the would know better. Man. Anyway, he's like, I knew Alias Shahenberg was into Star Trek, but that is some Star Trek bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so Chun Li is like, Oh, whatever is the matter, sir? But uh, then Ribbon smacks her. And he's like, nobody likes you, Chun-Li. Get out of this show. And Regina is like, yes, everything is coming to fruition. And Ali al is like, man, I wish my Gundam could do that. <laughs> it sounds cool. It would put an end to war. So all the A-Laws are like, well, we lost our newest mobile suit, so everybody run away. That's how these battles work. Which actually makes sense. Yeah. They don't necessarily know that the Riser can't do that again. Yeah. And, and he just ripped them apart. So Simaragi's like, hey, we won. Everybody come back. And Lasse's like, how many mobile suits did Setsuna take out? And he's like, I don't know, like eight probably. Oh, no, Amuro took out eight. Like ten. So like more than an Amuro, but less than a Yamato. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Setsuna doesn't have the O, so he must not be nearly as strong. If he was Setsunuo, he would <laughs> be the most powerful Gundam pilot ever. Setsuno, obviously. That's pretty good. So Simaragi's like, hey... Malena, I know your dad's like dead or something and your mom might be dead too, but could you repair the Gundams so we can go destroy that Death Star? Hey, remember how we were going to, uh, we were on our way to the Death Star to blow it up when this happened? <laughs> oh, we yeah, still need to do that. We know how you're uh, super concerned about your parents and we got to set that up and hey, it's hallelujah letting you know that he's coming back and your parent or your mom is fine. Hallelujah. And Malena's like, okay, now I have the morale to go do a work. It's not really set up to be a tension moment, really, for it. It's just weirdly timed, because it's, yeah. it's right after Sumeragi says, I know you're worried about your parents, and then Alu is like, don't worry. So once more, Sumeragi is like, remember, kids, double O riser. It's the one that can teleport, not in play sets and toys. So Saji continues to try to get his jet to chase after Louise, even though it presumably hasn't been going anywhere for like a minute of him just jamming the control As stick. So sets it up full names him. him and full names him. And Saji, how did you know how to fly this thing anyway? Do you I, you know what Haro actually was flying it? That's why it's not actually going anywhere is because Haro has engaged the uh, the locks on the controls, put on the space e brake. Yes. Uh, so Saji has an emotional breakdown, and we make fun of him for it. That's what we do on this show. Louise, meanwhile, meanwhile Louise also has an emotional breakdown, which we will also make fun of her for. Uh, but she's doing some basic math of like, why is Saji with celestial being? Wait. His neighbor was with Celestial Being. Which means he must have always been in league with them. I see how you got there, Louise. But you are making some leaps that you really don't need to make. Well, yeah, no, she's doing A implies B, C implies D. Therefore, D implies Q, forget about B. Well, she's having that Gundam girl crazy face going on. I know the only crazy Gundam girl you've ever met is Stella, Zach, and so you're not familiar with how they work (laughs) when they're more reasonable, but she's definitely in the crazy space. Well, I think a lot of this particular part is her (laughs) trying to justify that she now needs to fight Saji. Yeah, but it causes a clone attack, so she has to take her clone pills. You know, the more I think about it, the more I think they're closer to, like, a anti-rejection Oh, yeah, no, but it's way hand. funnier to have a callback to clone pills, so. 
Yes, but I've, I was actually thinking about those. They're probably like some kind of combination of anti-anxiety and anti-rejection pill for it. Zach, this is a anime for teenagers. There are no anti-anxiety meds available. <laughs> are anti-angst pills then? Oh, there definitely aren't those. If anything, they're double <laughs> angst. Double your angst. Double your fun. Double angst gum. I was going to say double the pleasure with twin drive. So Cody Monikin is like, hmm, cool new Gundam they have there. What the hell is going on? Remember, kids, double O riser, and then we don't get an ICAP. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to episode 12 of season 2 of Gundam Double O. I am currently sampling some definitely not Angostura bitters I've been making, and if that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry about it. I don't think I have anything particularly new this week, but hey, if you're looking for some video games, I have two plugs for you. First of all, we played Moon Hunters over the weekend for our end-of-the-month game day, which is a lot less formal than it used to be, and we're trying to add some different games. Moon Hunters is fantastic. It's a up-to-four-person cooperative roguelike where you experience telling a story from multiple different perspectives with each other. It's really cool and funded by the Canada Media Fund, if that means anything to you. The second game I really want to pitch is Tunic which I have not really seen anyone talking about, but also I don't really say plugged into gaming news, so... Ah, but if you really like old Zelda-style games, uh, this is plays kind of like a mix between Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 with way more interesting puzzles. The combat's not amazing, but it's not terrible. I'm, I'm pretty okay on it, but it is a wild game for exploration and finding lateral solutions to problems. I have loved every second I play of it because every time I have a new interaction with an object, even one I've encountered multiple times, it teaches me something new about how the game works, and that has been an amazing experience. So yeah, if either of those sound like your jam, go pick them up and then play them and then tell me what you thought about them, because I'm really interested in the very different ways these two games engage you. So yeah, that's it. That's my whole pitch. Back to the podcast. I thought when the Ptolemaeus took the hit, it took it to the one of the containers. That's what it said. Then why is the big hole dead center in the ship? Oh, uh, just aft of the bridge. It rotates. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's where they put the container. The, see, Zach, they have that Pokemon ability that Gengar has, where they can move damage from one place to another, and that was easier to fix. Oh, okay. So a new who is the doctor and the mechanic and the helmsman is like good news. Doc, which is me, says that Ian's going to be okay. <laughs> He's He'll gonna... be fine in 10 days. How long do you think he actually stays in there? Uh, Well, if we're judging by lock-on time, I'm guessing four <laughs> hours. Well, lock-on was immediately like, no, I don't have time to be repaired. I need to go die to Ali Al Sanchez so my brother has motivation in the next <laughs> season. So you will go recruit my brother. So Setsuna goes to see Saji in the ready room, who is... uh having a bad time, and Setson is like, I have to make him feel, but oh shit, I have no skills for this at all. I do not know what to do here. But what? I already said his full name, so time to dive in. What would Marina do in this situation? Loser country? I don't actually know what she would do in this situation. So, <laughs> Saji I'm going to try what would help me, I guess? What should people do to get along with each other? Have a nice <laughs> meal or something? <laughs> Honestly, I kind of like this scene. Yeah, oh, I, no, love I, do too, yes. I, I love how Setsuna fails, but he tries. Yep. Well, I, it's especially driven home when Lock-On comes in and is like, man, you're really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Saji's like, I heard Luis out there. She was calling my name, and she was in a mobile suit for some reason. And so Setsuna asks, why is she with the A-Laws? And Saji's like, it's your fault. Well, obviously, because she hates the Gundams that killed her parents. So she became Batman. But Batman doesn't exist in this world, so she became an A-Law instead. She had the money to be Batman. Why didn't she just become Batman, Setsuna? I love this little sequence, because like, he stands up after he says that to yell at Setsuna, and then just in an absolutely defeated manner, flops back down on the bench he was sitting on. I think partially in addition to, you know, him being emotionally exhausted, I think he's also realizing how inevitable this course of events was. I think he's also, like, this is confirmation of his worldview in a lot of ways, right? He has been saying, hey, you caused these problems. It's your fault. fault. And this is kind of a, Luis is with the ALOS because of them. No, it's not actually because of them. It's because of Little Miss Genocide. But it is reinforcing Saji's worldview. Well, and because nobody necessarily knew that Little Miss Genocide was the one that, like, they didn't realize that they were not necessarily operating out of the same playbook. Which Saji does know by now. Yes, but he's talking, he was talking about Louise. Yeah. And while he now knows this information. Louise couldn't. Louise couldn't, and he understands why, because he, I think he still harbors some, like, innate resentment towards the Gundams and their pilots. Saji's like, man, why did it have to work out this way? And Setsun is like, I do understand that. I was always asking, why did it have to work out this way after I killed my mother? Anyway, well, I should probably like, not you, help well, him about that. You, well, he's, he comes up like, I don't know how to, like, how do you deal with this kind of trauma? Why things turn out this way? You fight it. That's what you should do. Fight it. Saji's like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm just imagining Setsuna being like, rah, rah, fight the power. But <laughs> Basically. I do love that we see Setsuna's internal monologue. So we know that he's like, oh, when I was in this situation, I just had to fight my way through. And so when he tells Saji to fight, it's coming from a very internal place. This is how Setsuna dealt with it. But Saji just hears what they've been telling him all this time, which is, hey, fight with us and help us out. Yeah, fight with Celestial Being because we're in the right. He doesn't realize that Setsuna is basically just trying to tell him that you, if it matters to you, you need to fight for what you believe in. Like you need to go get it if that's what you really want. But Setsuna doesn't convey that idea very well. And so Saji absolutely cold cocks him. It's great. Yep. And Setsuna doesn't see it coming at all. I love how he just takes it and falls right on the floor, too. Yeah, he didn't see it coming, and I fully believe that if he'd really wanted to, he could have actually stopped Saji from hitting him. So Setsuna slowly pulls himself off the ground, and then Wakan just walks by and is like, you are bad at this, man. Well, and Sa- Setsuna is like, dude, eavesdropping again? You need to stop being a spy. Wait. <laughs> they are just in the ready room. I feel like Wakan would reasonably just be walking through here anyway. And he's like, hey, you should have been more clear with the kid. You should have said, I'll do the fighting. You just focus on getting Louise back. And yeah, you just you just focus on doing whatever you need to do to save her, for, to get her away from the A-laws. I'll handle everything else. And Setsuna's like, I can't promise him it'll work. And Lockon says, yeah, well, you seem pretty determined to try, trying to make up for past mistakes. And Setsuna's like, no, this is about shipping them for the future. <laughs> well, I do like it. Here again, that Setsuna is one of those things that he has decided the past is in the past. So I have to look towards fixing the future because I broke it. It's not about revenge for the past, as it were. So Sashi finds a nice, dark, brooding hallway and looks at the last email that Luis ever sent him, saying that she'll catch up to him in space and has a good cry about it. He just looks so defeated. Yep. We then cut to the ALOS ready room 
where Luis is also just having a, not, not quite a cry, but a think about what's going on as we see them emptying out Colonel Zenin. Colonel, why is everyone a colonel in my head? Captain <laughs> Zenin's locker. Well, he is very shortly. Uh, you're right. They are going to promote. From, he, gives, he gets a double promotion skipping over Major to be Lieutenant Colonel. I feel like two-ranked posthumous promotions are not actually rare. I think it probably depends on the situation, but yeah. So Luis remembers how Zenin had a wife and then remembers how Setsuna just murdered him and how Saji was there. And also her parents died that one time. And she just gets angrier and angrier. And then Andre is like, hey, what's up? So I heard you talking to some boy while that weird stuff was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first he tells her that Zenin had been promoted to lieutenant colonel. Which is very helpful for a dead man. And And then asks her about, like, what the hell was going on with you talking to somebody out there? She's like, were you communicating with the enemy? And she's like, no, absolutely not. And he's like, but you do know one of them. (laughs) He seemed like a close friend of yours. He's like, um... You were there when Billy called out that Setsuna was a member of Celestial Being? So you already know that she knows one of them, at least. Well, to be fair, he might have just assumed they were just talking. That they were at a party. That is what you do at parties most of the time. I wouldn't know. But she insists that she hates the Gundams and wants to destroy them. So Andre touches her and is like, oh, your arm. It's so slender. You have such hot arms. And she's like, this is not appropriate for the workplace at all, buddy. And I also have a murder arm. Hands off. (laughs) Well, he specifically says you don't belong in the A-laws. It's very interesting because he has that thought and so does Saji, but for very different reasons. Yeah, and they're both kind of her romantic, I guess, kind of romantic rivals with each other, kind of. I mean, Andre don't got a shot, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is pretty clear Louise has still got something for Saji. And she is mad at him now. We then cut to Divine and Bring grousing about how they got beat by humans. And they're like, ah, if Ribbons had just told us that they could fucking teleport, we'd definitely have beaten them. Then they but get, then we get a negative flash. Say, uh, Ribbons prepared message that day. Missive? <laughs> I forget what the name of that M- message, spell is. Message yeah. is the spell. And he's like, <laughs> capture the, the double O. Also, I'm sending Hilling up there to help. And uh, they're like, hey. Is it possible that he actually doesn't know what's going on with the double O? Surely he knows everything. Then we get to cut down to the kingdom of Rishelia. Yeah, cut to some nice refugees about to be a... Death Starred. Yeah, we get... cut to Alderaan. <laughs> Just getting wrecked by their Death Star space laser. Oh, yeah, and then Alderaan blows up. And we cut to Cataron being like, man, we have to deal with this giant space laser before it blows up the entire Middle East. And then Sheeran comes back with, wait a minute. Wasn't there a refugee camp next to that? (laughs) Did they just wipe out a bunch of people? Normal people? Innocent people. That's the word I'm looking for. (laughs) It's like, that doesn't sound like the a-hole. Oh, wait. Yes, it does. That sounds like their entire deal. Cut to Marina brooding over some children. Some sleeping children. Well, it's not like she has anything more important to do. It's not like she's a princess or anything. Of a dead nation. Exactly. It's not like she's a princess or anything. She's unemployed now, so... Maybe I should become a plumber. Nah, she'd do really badly as a plumber. She's thinking, maybe I should be an influencer. (laughs) Have you seen my hair? She does have some uh, pretty good pop star credentials, I think. Worked for Lackis Klein. Cut to the least pop idol character in the series, Sergei Smirnov. (laughs) Being apparently told that he's not allowed to talk about the 
capital city getting wiped out. Yeah. And, and he's like, hey, uh, wouldn't it be kind of obvious to everyone that a laser just nuked it from orbit? My, my entire squad or battalion detachment, whatever I'm in control of, they all saw it. So it's going to be real hard to like enforce I a gag order like that. Yeah, rumors are going to get around as soon as we get back to a major base, someone is going to talk. That's how it works. You understand you fired a fucking Death Star, and you're asking us to cover it up. And they're like, that's your job, Colonel. You have to obey orders. Understand? We are not going to change our policy on Death Star information. And apparently <laughs> enough people saw it and got a way to begin with to report on both of them to the Cateron base. So it wasn't just... Sergey's guys that saw that? Yeah, either there are other so, people who are just outside of the radius, or there are some survivors. To be, fair with, to be fair with Catheron, they definitely would have had someone watching, right? Because they literally had guys in there. So yes, like, but clearly someone was close enough to see it, which means it wouldn't just be the Catheron guys that would be there able to see this happen. The only thing I can think of is that they're under a gag order, so they're not going to go talk, although it was just a giant space laser, so I'm imagining... Just got, a giant space laser. Well, like, there was no identifying markings on it, obviously, as it was just a giant space laser. I just really want a branded space laser. <laughs> but like That sounds like something that would have been in Spaceballs. My, my guess would be that in this particular case, they were ordered to stop at a certain distance, and then the space laser came down and basically wiped out everything up to where they were sitting. So we get up to the Ptolemaeo, it says, Sumeragi is like, felt. Has our spy master sent us anything recently? I felt like, no, she got bitch slapped. <laughs> we did just find out that they shot Earth again, though. So Sumeragi's like, well, we gotta destroy that Death Star. Attention, all hands, we gotta go destroy that Death Star. Once the Ptolemaeus' hull is repaired, we're going to use our Trans Am to go as fast as fucking possible. Which, honestly, makes a lot of sense to me that they don't want to go until the Trans until the hull's repaired, they don't want to turn on the Trans Am because who knows what kind of shaking, what, what kind of damage it could do to the rest of the hull with the big hole in it. Yeah. But Saji's like, we're leaving. That means we'll be leaving Louise. Come on, Haro. We have to go on a secret I spy mission. traded out my red one for Mr. Pink. <laughs> it's just the lighting in his room. Cut the Milena fixing the Gundam, and Tiaria comes up. She's like, ooh, cute boy. And he's like, fix my Gundam. And she's like, yes, sir. <laughs> Apparently, most of them didn't take many hits. <laughs> that checks out. is like, how is mine fucked up? I wasn't even there. is <laughs> like, am I going to get to do anything? <laughs> Cut to Pizza Girl Soma. <laughs> Boxed Lunch Soma. I'm sorry, Boxed Lunch Marie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we see S Saji sneaking out in a spacesuit, and she's like, hey man, what you doing? And he's like, oh, I just left a food, and they told me to get it. Bye. <laughs> I left some dishes in the washer I need to get. I left the oven on in the Gundam. <laughs> and Mari's like, that wasn't suspicious. So he's going for the riser because he's like, I gotta, I'm leaving. I have I'm to steal Luis. this highly experimental military tech and run away with it. It's like, me and Luis shouldn't be here. I'll, I'll go pick her up and then we'll just, I don't know, go to space Bahamas and she's rich. We can probably <laughs> He has the out. line, just leave the fighting to people who want to do so. Forgetting that Louise is currently one of those people. Yeah, but when he remembers her, he just remembers her as a cute girl that he used to date. But then he also remembers that time he got an entire Cateron base murdered by automatons. And what, I believe this is Tiaria told him? Yes. Yep. 
about that just being inadvertent malice. And he's like, oh shit, I almost did it again. I almost just stole their super cool MacGuffin and ran off and got everybody killed. I uh, marked this one in my notes as the return of the Hall of Judgment. (laughs) So Saji starts having a breakdown in the cockpit. And Setsuna, just watching, making sure he doesn't go out, is like, ah, that sucks. Do we think Marie went and told him that she saw Saji? I'm willing to believe that. I'm also just believing to... Believing? I'm also just willing to believe that Setsuna intuited it. I I do anticipate this is more of, like, I think Marie went and told Setsuna, hey, I think Saji's going to do something and that's why he was there. Because otherwise, Marie seeing Saji in the hallway there makes that scene not make any sense. Oh, it makes it pointless. Uh, but yeah, hey, pointless. This, this series is no stranger to some pointless scenes. Yeah, but I like that idea. So Sumerog's like, hey, remember that hull we needed to repair? It's repaired. Trans Am, boys. It's, it's time for us to blow up a Death Star. So do we think they get additional Trans Am power the more Gundams they Trans Am? Yeah, I don't know. I would know. assume so. It makes sense. We then cut to Louise, who has found her own dark room to brood in, and she's looking at all the cute photos she took of her and Saji. As Saji is having his breakdown superimposed over this, and so Louise selects all and hits delete, and is like, yes, father, I will become a guy who hates Gundams. (laughs) And Saji starts Louise's name to end the episode. I mean, he can't have that much, can't be that broken up over it, because... He didn't full name drop her. I was just about to say, <laughs> Louise Halaby. <laughs> no, it, it, he always calls her Louise Crossroad in his head, and it would be <laughs> too sad. <laughs> I was thinking about the uh, Space Bahamas. Uh, Bermuda, Morocco, come on, Pinky Haro. Although, <laughs> the more I think about it, I think the, the whole, like, full name drop, that's more of a celestial being thing than it is anybody else. Yeah, I don't know that we've seen anybody else really do that on a regular basis. It's the two people with no social skills and celestial beings, so yes. Sumeragi does it on occasion. The three people with no... Oh, wait, no. Hmm, that doesn't quite track. Sumeragi is actually a good leader. I really like that last scene. I really like the swerve that they do with Saji not leaving, because it really feels like they're setting up the he takes their super powerful awesome thing and then they don't have it for the Death Star fight. But I like that it's instead a huge character development moment for him. Yeah, he learned a lesson from the last time he accidentally it's got an entire base destroyed. remarkable that a character actually, like, had that lesson actually learned instead of having to go through the same thing multiple times. I, I do like also how, like, close the parallels are and that he realizes that this is, like, exactly what he was doing before. I, I really like that scene. But wait, there's more. After the credits, we cut to Catheron, who's like, all right, all of our space forces are in position. They're about to attack that Death Star. This battle is going to determine everything. Shireen's looking at it like, we can't stand up to a doomsday device. But Klaus is like, we have faith. We don't have nearly enough small one-man fighters for this. We sent our only main character to Celestial Being. <laughs> I feel like Marina has I do main too. character protections. I don't think Shirin considers Marina a part of Catheron, though. And she's not in space. That's true. I I would definitely see Shirin not thinking of Marina as a member of Catheron. Anyway, Admiral Akbar is like, it's a trap! And then the satellite starts moving its giant death cannon towards them and blows up a bunch of Catheron ships. This seems like it would have an awful lot of blind spots. Well, it can point up or down, so... Which, coincidentally, the Cateron fleet is actually coming at it from above, which I kind of like the fact that we've got a space battle using the Z-axis. Yep. It's our Unfortunately, day it doesn't work out for them. 
So the Ptolemaeus crew is like, hey, they just fired a third shot randomly into space. And so Sumeragi's like, they don't just do that. Felt who'd they shoot? And Lockdown's like, no, all of my friends. But he guesses before it even comes through that, yeah, Cateron's space fleet just got blasted. And Sets is like, hmm, these innovators suck. I do not like their Death Star tactics. And that's the end of the episode. Really good one, I think. Yeah, no, I think it was actually kind of a banger all the way through. As weird as it is, I kept looking at it going, there's no way this is almost, like, there's no way this is 20 minutes. And then the credits came on, I was like, really? Yeah, it didn't, it kind of flew by. I, I think part of it is because the first half of the episode is so action-packed, and then ends on that, like, really emotionally poignant note. It's very Gundam Seed in its pacing, right? In a very good way? I'd agree with that. Do you have a high point, Tyler? Oh, boy. So many. I think the one that I'm actually going to go with is uh, Saji and Luis both looking at photos at the same time and Luis deleting hers. Well, I love that. Saji isn't looking at photos at oh, the time. Is he not? Okay. No, he's he's having his moment. Yeah, he's, okay. he's in a jet going, I want to leave on a jet plane, but that would only cause my character to regress. <laughs> but so I do really like that juxtaposition where he's like really hung up on her and she's like explicitly making the decision that he's no longer worth caring about. I think, spoiler, she's probably so hung up on him, but well, well, that remains to be seen. I kind of want the series where she just like totally gets into Andre as a rebound guy, but that's not <laughs> the series we have. I'll spoil that. Then And then uh, Smirnoff can be like, oh, I just lost a daughter. It's great that I have a new one now. <laughs> Zach, do you have a high point? I think I have to go with Saji not taking the riser. Yeah, that's absolutely it for me. But since you took that, it's going to be... Sets into being like, hey, a voice? And him hearing the giant cannon thing, that's so Gundam, and I love it. It's also very Star Wars, like, use the force. And then he cuts an X and an asteroid to go beat <laughs> her up. That's great. It's very dumb, but also I love it. I actually kind of like that shot, although, damn, that asteroid. Why was there an asteroid made out of something like magnesium? You know, maybe it was just ice inside, and then the heat caused it to expand. Yeah, it just steam exploded. It's fine. I have a question mechanically about how the double O riser works. Are its beam sabers that long normally, or do they get bigger when it's in? Or, or is that a beam cannon that he just like kept on? Yeah, like the I have no Gidesa. idea. I mean, he, it's got the beam like sword guns, so maybe he was just holding the triggers down. I know Aelia Schenberg was a big Final Fantasy VIII fan. <laughs> do you have a low point, Tyler? I think it's actually going to be the scene with Divine and Bring Stabity getting a psychic message <laughs> from, from Ribbons, ribbons uh, which, like, I honestly, I don't think it's, like, a bad scene necessarily. It's just, like, a, we have never really established that the innovators have psychic telepathy powers. Well, we kind of have. And I, have we? They, can, have they, we have a, they have a telepathic link with Veya, right? And Regina and Tiaria explicitly have a telepathic link with each other. Okay, that's a fair. I assumed it was just between pairs, but... But Ribbons is the king of pairs. Yeah, and <laughs> well, and if they're connected through Veda, um, I can also see that being a thing. So, Zach, hmm, this is actually pretty hard. I think, for lack of a lot of better options, I think I have to go with the scene of uh, Louise and Andre in the ready room because I'm not entirely sure what that scene is in service to. They have been trying to set up this Andre-Louise relationship, and I like it in theory. I like the idea of Saji having a romantic rival. I like the idea of Louise having a, another reasonable human being within the ALOS to bounce <laughs> off of, but he just comes off as mega creepy because she's so clearly not into him. And he keeps making those types of advances, right? He hasn't made those types of advances necessarily, like overtly. 
we've gotten his inner monologues That's a couple fair. of times. Like it is definitely in keeping with the inner monologues he's had, but this is the first time he's actually said it to Louise. Yeah, it's also a really weird thing to say to someone that you've shared like probably eight sentences with. And Your arms are so slender. You don't belong in war. And they're going for like a, oh, you shouldn't be here, but it just comes off as demeaning. Not like you're in the wrong place, which is what they want it to come off of. It comes up as like, oh, a girl shouldn't be here. I assume that's what it's supposed to come off as. But Andre never had that feeling with Soma. That's who, a good point. Who he was paired with for but, a while. Also, she technically outranked him. Yeah, but well. he could still think that. <laughs> that is true. It's Misogyny just... doesn't care about rank, Zach. <laughs> it is weird that it's, like, I don't really get why that is a thing. Like you said, it makes him sound just like a condescending dick. Not so much that it's supposed to be, well, anything else. <laughs> Speaking of misogyny, I'm going to go with Ribbon slapping Chun-Li and calling her a greedy bitch. Because what is Chun-Li's endgame? Does Ribbons know what it is? Is Chun-Li responsible for a double O-Riser in any real way? I don't actually know what her endgame is, but uh, I will admit I was like, finally a character I dislike has gotten there a little bit of comeuppance. I actually took that to mean that Ribbons is a lot more emotionally unstable than he tries to present to everyone else. Well, there is that. He comes off the rails as soon as his plans get even the slightest setback. Yeah. Do you have an MVP, Tyler? Oh, boy. Ah, man, I hate to keep doing this. Probably Saji. Uh, it's actually between Saji and Louise for me for this one. That's super fair. I think I'm actually going to give it to Louise. She needs more MVP points, and I actually think she did a lot of the like emotional heavy lifting this episode. At least as much as Saji for me. Zach? I'm actually kind of agreeing with you, Tyler. Like, I don't want to keep just foisting it off because there are so many characters in this series. But, man, the fact, like, going back and calling back to Saji's mistake previously and him literally learning from that mistake and being like, I was going to do the same thing again. I have to give it to Saji for that. Yeah, I mean, it's like they gave him an actual arc or something. It's kind of nice. Yeah, What's it's, yours? It's also very hard to pick between Saji and Louise. I think I give it to Saji mostly because of the awkward Andre scene. And I hate to take away from Louise because of that. But the scene, like, it just takes away from this episode, unfortunately. I, I actually liked that scene for the fact that Louise gets to go, I've got a robot arm, bitch, and then <laughs> just walks out. That is true. I, I also wanted to give it to Saji because of that moment between him and Setsuna. When he gets up and is like, it's all your fault, it's you. And then, like, he just sits down so defeated, like, even I know that's not inherently true and i can't lie to myself and keep this indignant rage going yeah no i i kind of agree i think saji actually did more of the heavy lifting this episode but it's so rare that we actually get to see Luis be a centerpiece like this that's super but. fair it's definitely between them right the yeah. second half is kind of about their relationship Setson well, is like also you, like a Setson no, is an honorable mention well, like I you think. said previously jeremy every other character has basically done the growing up portion of the be a shitty teenager yeah, setsuna is trying to be saji's dad or at least big brother he's trying <laughs> to get these kids together because he's invested in the relationship like we are <laughs> whereas louise and saji are still kind of in that teenager mindset and have to grow and learn <laughs> i just imagined Setsuna be like Dear diary, forget about the Ptolemaeus. The only ship I need is Saji X Luis. <laughs> it shows Setsuna's growth, too, because he's gone from not caring about these people at all and just sitting awkwardly and having pillows thrown at him to realizing that he could have been Saji and getting invested in his problems and trying to fix them for him. Yep. I don't even oh. feel like Setsuna wants to try and fix Saji's problems for him. He wants. He seems to want to give Saji the tools to fix them for himself. 
he says fight, and Saji gets all indignant. But what he means is basically what Lakan tells him afterwards. Like, you want to ha- just help him solve the problem. You're not like, I'm going to solve this for you. Yeah, it's, instead of fight, he should have said, like, persevere or something. Like, determination. Shonen spirit. Shonen! But S- Setsuna doesn't know what shonen spirit is. <laughs> Mr. Bushido this... hasn't taught him yet. <laughs> I always had this Virgo yelling this at me. <laughs> Anything else we want to say on the episode? I don't know. It's a really good episode, and it's I'm like... dreading later episodes because I know Mr. Bushido has to show up again at some <laughs> point. They could just forget about him, right? It could happen. Live by the flag, die by the flag. Man, if, what if Luis went to Mr. Bushido and trained for, begged for training and became <laughs> Sam, and became the Konoichi? <laughs> <laughs> Would that make this better? No. No. I'm trying to imagine her wearing a stupid Oni mask. <laughs> All right. It's again, then we'll return in Assault on Memento Mori. Dropping again. It wasn't my fault I overheard.